You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 86, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Jeff Gusky, a renowned National Geographic photographer and board-certified emergency physician, now on the front lines against COVID-19. His mission is to help the world rediscover human decency and goodness that is often lost when we are mindlessly immersed in technology. You can find out more about Dr. Jeff Gusky at www.jeffgusky.com. And head on over to our website at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about how to be more focused, productive, creative, and happy using technology. And sign up for our mailing list to receive a free guide on how to find balance and manage your technology use with mindfulness. And now back to this episode of the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with Dr. Jeff Gusky. The interview that you're about to hear with Dr. Jeff Gusky is a bit different than many of the interviews we've had on this podcast before, and that we're going to focus mostly on Dr. Gusky's health recommendations in relation specifically to COVID-19. We are going to talk a bit about mindfulness and how you can apply mindfulness to evaluate information that's out there and to engage in self-care. But most of what we'll be talking about are specific health recommendations. And I thought it would be valuable to provide this kind of episode, even though it is a bit different from the norm for us, because it's so important to get useful information out there to everyone about how to promote our health in the time of this pandemic. And I think you're going to find that the information and recommendations that Dr. Gusky gives may be things that you have not heard before or that you haven't heard emphasized as strongly before. And so I encourage you to really pay close attention to what you hear from Dr. Gusky, his recommendations, the information he provides, Also, uh, to look at the information in the links in the show notes, and then use your own judgment to evaluate what you hear here in combination with everything else you've heard when making a decision about whether to take some of the steps for yourself and for your family and your community that you hear in this episode. I just think it's super important to provide people with as much potentially valuable information as possible, uh, given how serious a crisis we're, we're in the middle of. I, of course, encourage you to continue to listen to the recommendations of all of our public health officials, scientific experts, medical experts, uh, the kinds of recommendations uh, you've been hearing all along for months. And I think one of the ways in which mindfulness can play into this and be helpful to us all is in allowing us in the midst of such a barrage of information coming from all directions to really sit back calmly and evaluate everything we hear and see and read calmly and objectively. And that can help particularly when there are certainly lots of people out there who are providing information and recommendations not out of a pure scientific interest or an interest in public health, 
but in, in many cases out of self-interest in an attempt to promote specific products, specific solutions, specific economic or political interests. And I just really encourage you to do the best you can to evaluate the information you receive in light of whatever scientific or medical expertise you have, the trust you have in the sources, and uh, you know, to take with a grain of salt information you receive from people who might have a vested self-interest in you adopting or not adopting certain practices. Because of course, what we're all, we all want to do is keep ourselves safe and as healthy as possible. And, and that kind of evaluation applies to what you hear on this podcast as well. You'll hear Dr. Gusky say, you know, he's, he's looked at all the information out there. He has evaluated himself, but he's not asking any of you to take what he says at face value. So I'd suggest take it seriously, consider it really seriously. And then, of course, as with everything else that's out there, as difficult as it may be, evaluate it on your own in conjunction with your family, with your doctors, uh, with anyone else who you trust. And the, the last thing I'll say is that as the situation evolves, as our knowledge of this virus evolves on a nearly daily basis, it's really important to keep gathering more information and keep reevaluating what you will do for yourself and your family and your community. Uh, because our knowledge of what's best keeps changing over time. And in all likelihood, it will continue to keep changing over time. And that's just going to require us to continue to be alert, attuned, proactive in gathering information and mindful in how we evaluate and act on it. With all that being said, I think you're really going to enjoy and benefit from this interview with Dr. Jeff Gusky. Hi, Jeff, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hi, great to be with you, Robert. Thanks Thank so you. much. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, we have so much to talk about relating to COVID health and well-being, including physical health, of course, but also mental health, how we are absorbing and processing information about the pandemic, what we can do to keep ourselves and our family healthy and safe. I know that you, as an ER doctor... Uh, and in many other aspects of your life, have been at the forefront of this. I wonder if you could just give people a, a little brief introduction to to your work related to COVID, and then we'll take it from there with the goal of giving people as much useful information as they can in this current crisis that we're living in. I'm a National Geographic photographer, practicing emergency physician and explorer, and I have a natural mindset of curiosity about things hidden in plain sight. It's resulted in how I've lived my life over the last 25 years, starting with being the first fine art photographer to go behind the former Iron Curtain and document a hidden world of the Holocaust that hadn't been seen before by the West. And since that time, I've been on a citizen's journey to understand why anarchy and mass destruction is still with us. And I was on a media tour related to an exhibition that closed uh, at the uh, Smithsonian National Museum of African-American History and Culture about a month ago, and COVID strikes. So I remembered conversations that I had about six years before at the dinner table with the brother of one of my best friends, who is 
an electrical engineer that designs indoor air sensors for hospitals. And he had a cloud of data coming in from all over the world. And he told me something I'd never heard before, which was that the Ebola outbreak, and we had a a very frightening episode here in Dallas uh, where two nurses got infected and a patient died, that it was related to what was a red day on his model. What is a red day? Never heard this terminology before. It's when the air inside the hospital gets uncharacteristically dry. And so I ran into him in March, early March, when I was doing this media tour. And I said, Rick, what's up with with COVID? He said, it's the same thing as Ebola. And I started looking and was finding things hidden in plain sight, asking questions about why. And it turns out that every single outbreak was aligned with what was what's called low absolute humidity. Mm-hmm. So absolute humidity is something that I'd never heard of before. If you interview a thousand doctors, I'm sure probably all of them have never heard of it. It's, it's just something that is not reported. It's not something that we have a language to talk about. What is absolute humidity? It's very simply the weight of water in the air, and it's measured in grams per meter cubed. And it turns out, and this was, has been known in the virology literature for years, years. And, and then in, in an abundance of research coming out after Wuhan, that when the indoor absolute humidity is 10 or above, okay. that hotspots don't happen. They, they all but disappear. So how does this fit into to COVID right now? Well, there are hundreds and hundreds of millions of people, entire nations, that have all but escaped the pandemic. And we have not really heard about this. Yeah. For example, Hong Kong is almost the same population as New York City and about the same land mass. And I checked just before our interview today, and Hong Kong has lost, since the beginning of the crisis, 105 people. Mm. New York City has lost over 24,000 precious lives. Thailand, 70 million people, 59 lives. Taiwan, 23.8 million people, seven lives. You have these large countries with tens and tens of millions of people that are not succumbing to the pandemic. Some of them, the poorest places on earth, like Bangladesh and Haiti, where social distancing isn't going to happen, you know, where you don't have technology and, and funding for good healthcare. Something is happening in these places that is protecting them. Yeah. And it turns out it's, there's a very clear way that all this comes together. So we hear about, may, may I explain this to you? It's, it's sure. Really in fact, I mean, I, I just happened to read an article last week about many African countries that have had very low amounts of outbreak. And I don't know if it's the same phenomenon there or not, but the article was both about the low prevalence and the fact that it has not gotten reported on very much in the West. Yes, yes. And in some, you have to look at country by country, but uh, some of the African countries are tropical as well. Their climates are very humid. So, uh, and there are more factors that, that go into it. But the bottom line is this, we hear a lot about herd immunity, right? 
as the goal of a vaccine and that we got hit by COVID and had no herd immunity because our immune systems had never seen COVID before. It turns out that there is a different branch of our immune system that can provide herd immunity that we are not hearing about. So the herd immunity related to antibodies is from what is called the acquired immune system or humoral immunity, which is where B lymphocytes produce antibodies to specific antigens, meaning that we have the ability to learn how to attack in a very precise way organisms that can infect us. But there is another branch of the immune system called cell-mediated immunity or innate immunity. And this is kill on site. This is an immune system. Have you heard about this? No, I haven't. Well, in fact... A lot of the work has been done in New England that at Yale. Sorry about that, Harvard. <laughs> but <laughs> it's okay. Anyway, um, the the Yale scientists have done a preeminent job in detailing the background and the science behind innate immunity and COVID. In fact, there was a landmark paper that was published in March 16th, largely written before COVID, mm. but finished just after COVID struck. And it's, it's in the, uh, I believe it's in the Annual Review of Virology, a very prestigious journal. And it details how when we breathe moist air, we activate this innate immunity. And it's, it's interferon-based genetic activation against viral disease. And, it, and they go into great detail that the model of COVID spread is very likely, and this is back in March, mm-hmm. they're saying this, it's aerosol, not micro droplet. Now, let me sidebar for a moment yeah. because people are not being told what the difference is. Right. So we hear the term airborne. That's confusing. Both are airborne. The micro droplet model, which is being pushed almost like a propaganda machine. I'm sorry to use that term, but, sure, it, but, sure. but there's so much politicization by the WHO, the CDC, medical bureaucrats, to say that the model is micro droplets. Just this past week, it was almost like they had to give an inch and say, well, maybe a f- oh, there's a little bit of aerosol spread. Yes, well, I did see that. Okay, well, let me tell you what's happening now, and then I'll come back to the model. Europe is blowing up. yes. Have you heard about this? Yes, I have. I Yesterday, have. there were seven countries yes. that reached all-time highs. France, UK, Poland, Ukraine, Romania. I, I, I can't even remember all the countries. But I did see the news, yeah. You, you have so many countries that are blowing up. On Monday, I bet this wasn't in the news. Canada. I did see that today. Well, yeah, they, they reached an all-time case count high. Yeah. And, and this is before flu season has struck. And a lot of this happened in August in Europe. Europe is doing the mask, the social distancing, the quarantines, the barriers, the shutdown, all this stuff. The safety measures are not working. And, and this is not an argu- a political argument. I'm right. doing what I do in the ER, which is bond with complete strangers about serious life and death issues. And there's no right or left. Yeah. Period. It's just about trying to get information that can save lives. And so back to the model, both are airborne, but 
the micro droplet model, which is what the masks and the social distancing are intended to help yes. us with, is, is like a, throwing a baseball. You have mass and velocity, and this object goes through the air from one person to another. It's person to person spread. The idea of a mask is that you can block it, like a catching a baseball. Yes. The idea of social distancing is that you can get far enough away from it that gravity will bring it to the ground. Yes. The idea of cleaning surfaces obsessively and washing your hands is that you can reduce the viral load. Yeah. If it's aerosol, and I, aerosol is the only thing that makes sense in terms of explaining why the safety measures are not working and why so many of these outbreaks have occurred and why they're not happening outdoors. Mm. They are not happening outdoors. I know of not a single uh, scientific study that documents COVID mass spread outdoors. Right. And the fact that that is not being trumpeted from every news in every newscast from every mountaintop, you know, because economic damage to the restaurant industry and to communities yeah. and to tourism and to beaches and, you know, is enormous. The quality of life, the fear factor, the idea that, that, you know, spread occurs outdoors. It's a big hoax. There's not any science to show that it spreads outdoors. And it makes sense because if it's aerosol, now what- Can you just, yeah, just tell us what, what aerosol means? Because I'm, I'm in that uh, category where I listen okay, to the aerosol and I hear airborne. Okay, yeah. so, so aerosol is where you walk into a room with a cloud of invisible submicron particles. They just float. They're not spread person to person. There's no inertia. They don't settle to the ground via gravity. They can last for hours to days. They can go across a large room 100 feet away. They can go down hallways, around corners. They can spread through the ventilation system, floor mm -hmm. to floor. They are everywhere, but they only spread indoors. Mm -hmm. They do not spread outdoors because as soon as aerosol meets the, the vast dilution of the atmosphere, they dissipate. So that's the difference. It's baseball versus a cloud. Yeah. Getting back to the herd immunity that comes from this other arm of the immune system. So it turns out that what the difference, why, why you're not seeing big case counts in the most impoverished places on earth is because those people are breathing indoor air with an absolute humidity that's 10 or above. And what that does is that it gives us a herd immunity. Now, what is herd immunity? It's like, it, it's, it's like a firewall against the virus from doing mass spread. It doesn't mean that one person can't spread it to another. This is not about a cure. Mm. It's about mitigating mass spread, which is why we shut down the society in the first place in yes. March. One sidebar, we were told that COVID could cause millions of deaths. And early in April, April 2nd, Mayor Bill de Blasio, I don't say this politically, I just remember the press conference where he was panicked, calling out for 65,000 hospital beds by the end of April, or they'd be looking at disaster. They were yes. calling for the comfort ship, the Javits Center. There were emergency hospitals set up all over the place, ventilators. None of that got used. 
the hospitals were emptying out by the end of April. And it was like the shift or the subject shifted. The conversation went away. Mm. No one asked the question, why not? Mm. Do you want to know why? Sure. Spring weather is more humid. Humidity is an antiviral agent. Mayo, in a, 19, a 2018 paper, calls humidity, indoor humidity, a non-pharmacologic antiviral agent. It's been known for years. What really upsets me is when I see a 2009 landmark sciences uh, research paper f- published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences by one of the most preeminent virologists in the world named Jeffrey Shaman. And he, in black and white, in 2009, is urgently calling for humidification of the indoor air inside nursing homes to lower mortality of at-risk patients from viral respiratory infection. Mm. This is not new. And, and so, so what absolute humidity does is it, it, it activates herd immunity through the other immune system, which is this nonspecific system, cell-mediated or innate immunity. And there's one other factor that's extremely important that your audience must do, you should do, your family should do, everyone should, should hear this. And it's a piece of technology that can make you feel safer. Okay. And it has okay. to do with getting your vitamin D levels measured. Turns out vitamin D is not a, a vitamin at all. It's a hormone. And it has very powerful roles on both optimizing the cell-mediated immunity, the innate immune system, and also modulating the intense inflammatory reactions that cause cytokine storm in people who have bad outcomes. The data is now so overwhelming, it's, it's beyond controversy. The vitamin D both prevents you from getting COVID or lowers your risk of getting it, and if okay. you get it, it, it is remarkably powerful in, in mitigating long-term complications and ICU admissions. So you're much less likely to have mm-hmm. a bad outcome if you get COVID. Now, the mindset of physicians, and I was one of them until this spring when I learned about this, is that vitamin D is about postmenopausal women and mm-hmm. bone density. Yeah. I don't think I've ever ordered a vitamin D in 30 plus years of medical practice. But we should all be getting our vitamin Ds measured. And the numbers, the range is like the humidity that we'll talk about in a minute. It okay. should be 50 to 60, 5 zero, 50 to 60. And with the vitamin D, it's nanograms per milliliter, not 20, not 30. A lot of the labs have a lower limit of 30. And the doctor looks at a quick lab mm. report because we're so busy and we just look for outliers and say to the patient, oh, you're fine, don't worry about it. Well, you cannot rely on that. It has to be 50, well, at least 40, and it should ideally be 50 to 60. If you are a person of color, you are much more likely to be in danger. Yes. If you're African-American, if you're dark-skinned Hispanic-American, if you're East Asian, if you're a Muslim woman who is wearing, um, you know, the total body covering, even if your skin is light, because you're not getting sun, vitamin D is produced by sun. And you cannot wing it. I've been taking vitamin D 2000 units for years. 
And I had my, my levels checked about three weeks ago. And in the two months prior to me getting the levels checked, I had nearly doubled my daily intake. I was dangerously low. Hmm. I work out seven miles a day. Yeah. I'm not terribly overweight. Yeah. And, and I should be the last person to have a dangerously low vitamin D level. I had it. You cannot rely upon just the fact that you take vitamin D I every see, day. I see. You've got to get your level checked. It's super important. It takes up to a month or even more to get your level to a safe range if you are low. So everyone should start taking vitamin D 2,000 units right now. Get tested as soon as possible. If you're super busy and you can't get yeah. to the doctor, there's a place called ZRT Labs. That's Zulu Romeo Tango, ZRT Labs. And you can buy a test online for $75. There's no reason not mm -hmm. to get checked. And everyone in your family, young to old, it can affect us all. It's it and, and indoor humidity are the two most important things you can do to activate herd immunity mm. of your innate immune system and protect yourself against COVID. Wow. It's extremely valuable. I was, I definitely was not aware of it. I had not heard about the humidity factor and how that related to all of this. I was under the impression that uh, this was about droplets and that direct person to person spread that you mentioned. And I would have guessed if you hadn't told me that the humidity was activating an immune response, that the humidity had something to do with, and this is a layperson's uh, guess, the immunity had something to do with weighing down the particles so they didn't spread in that droplet way. But you're saying it's actually yeah. activating something in the individual. It's human susceptibility. That's why the idea here is that if it's a, an aerosol, you cannot block it, you can't distance from it, you cannot clean it, even if you wash your hands mm -hmm. and don't touch anything the virus will reaccumulate on your hands. Yeah. I don't mean to make people feel paranoid. Right. That's the fact. We cannot sterilize our environments. It doesn't matter how many times you clean a surface. The, if it's a cloud, it will reaccumulate. Yeah. The way to protect yourself is two simple things. One, buy a $12, and I have no commercial ties to any of yeah. the recommendations I'm going to give. But, um, and I turned, it's 46 now, I'm low. Okay. It, it's because for the broadcast, I turned off the humidifiers in my home. Okay. But um, you want it to be 50 to 60, 24 hours a day. And okay. a lot of places have the capability to just dial in yeah. uh, the humidity and you, you know, try to get it around 55%. You'll, be, you'll likely be in the safe range of an absolute humidity 10 or above. So, Humidity, relative humidity, 50 to 60. But this one is called Govee, G-O-V-E-E, -E, and I've tested a bunch of them. And it's, it's fast, and it's the most accurate, and it's 12 bucks. I'm guessing you're saying you can't or it's harder or more expensive to get an absolute humidity tester. So use one of these relative ones. And if you're in that 50 to 60 range, okay. you're probably in the absolute. This right is a great – I'm so glad you mentioned that. <laughs> Because um, it goes to the whole notion of technology and mindfulness. Yeah. So until August 3rd, it was impossible to measure absolute humidity. You cannot buy a device on Amazon to measure absolute humidity. How many things can't you buy on Amazon? Yeah, right. 
I would have guessed it just based on how much you're willing to spend, you'd be able to get it. You cannot buy anything on Amazon for any price <laughs> that measures absolute humidity that I'm aware of. And I've okay. looked okay. exhaustively. There is a device and they're actually discontinued, but, mm-hmm. but you can buy them from instrument supply houses for industry. And it's called a Testo 645. So I bought one. They're about $1,600. Wow. Okay. And, and, and until August 3rd, you, that was the only way to measure absolute humidity. You had to physically go into a place with that device and measure it. Something changed on August 3rd. Now, uh, earlier before the interview, I, we had an email exchange and I sent you, I don't know if you saw a graphic that is of, you're in Cambridge, I believe. Yeah. I did a hand calculation using a weather underground sensor of the absolute humidity in Cambridge, Mass. And I don't mean to frighten you, but you are likely breathing air that is significantly more risky than Wuhan was last Mm. December. Yes, I did see it briefly. It it should get everyone's attention. Several weeks ago, I was with some Washington people. You know, I I sat next to... uh, a prominent senator and his wife at a wedding of a friend of mine. We share the, a common friend. And the next day I met with his chief of staff and some other, we've been, we've been in touch. I told them that there was dangerously dry absolute humidity extending from Maine to south of Washington, D.C. What happened to the president mm-hmm. was not at all surprising. Even the White House, which I'm sure has every possible protocol in place, to protect, protect against transmission of COVID. But if you are in dangerously dry indoor air and one person who has a false negative mm-hmm. test mm-hmm. is in that environment and is emitting a virus, that's all it takes. Mm. One person in a closed space with dangerously dry indoor air had the humidity been elevated in the White House or wherever those people got COVID to an absolute humidity of 10 or above or a relative humidity of 50 to 60%, it's very likely that those infections would not have happened. Okay. This is huge. And so I urge everyone in your audience to buy one of these, carry it with you. Do not go into buildings that are not 50 and above. You can walk in for a moment, check you know, a minute or so, it's not going to hurt. But yeah. if you, you, you don't want to stay in an indoor space, that's not 50 or above and, and, and make your homes 50 to 60. It's really important. And it's so inexpensive to do. This threat is going to be with us for seven to eight months. New York is probably the most dangerous mega city in the world. What happened in the springtime is not an indication of what's about to happen because we were infected at the end of winter moving into spring and we had the benefit of antiviral spring weather. But what's about to happen all across the United States, from East Coast to West Coast, from North to South, absolute humidity that is Wuhan levels and worse on probably 50% of the days or more. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in the, in the Northeast in New York and then in, in Massachusetts. And that certainly is the profile of humidity here is humid in the summer, right? Dry starting around now, starting to dry around now. Uh, That's through right. The winters. And in fact, what happened in New York City with COVID? It went flat, right? Yes. 
okay, you just look at the absolute humidity and it, it, the whole thing just falls right in front of you. Mm-hmm. It is so clear. Human susceptibility was mitigated by or lowered by absolute humidity and the case counts went to zip. The same thing happened in Paris. I have very close ties to Paris because of my work as a Nat Geo photographer and the work on World War I. I spent a lot of time in France. Paris is a bellwether for what is happening here right now. Can I just share a glimpse? Sure, sure. Okay, so Paris started July with their numbers like New York has been way, way, way down, off peak by over 90, probably 98%. You know, it almost seemed like it went away. Yes. And then unbeknownst to the public, on July 6th, the first low absolute humidity day came. And it's on, you know, always on a, or very often on a gorgeous day. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea that you're breathing dangerous air. And so between July 6th and the end of the month, there were 16 days when Paris, when Parisians were breathing dangerously dry indoor air. Mm. About half of them were worse than Wuhan, and no one had a clue. And when you have absolute humidity that's low outside, it's low inside because buildings breathe. That's not true with relative humidity. Yeah, Relative humidity can be quite high, and the absolute humidity can be very low. And you don't know it because we can't measure it. So what happened was that the case counts in Paris slowly rose. I mean, it was so under the surface. No one was reporting on it. No one heard about it. And by early August, you were at a point of critical mass, meaning that there were enough cases that, you know, it was like a bomb ready to explode. And what happened was five continuous days uh, in early August of absolute humidity. And the case counts started to go like this. And by September 4th, France had broken their all-time COVID high. And this is with masks and social distancing and everything else. That's what's happening here right now. We're building towards critical mass. It's already started. And, you know, the the cases you're hearing about in New York City where they're closing down neighborhoods, that was predictable by absolute humidity. You could see it a mile off. Yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit about the mindfulness connection here and what people can be doing to pay attention to what's going on, which is a core aspect of mindfulness, uh, deal with their own um, anxiety in relation to this, which, you know, if you can notice your anxiety, stop it from spiraling out of control, I, I find it's easier to be able to absorb information and evaluate it. Then if you are, you know, when you're in a constant state of agitation and anxiety, it's harder, it's harder to rationally evaluate and information. That's, what, that's exactly what modern life does to us because it dehumanizes us. In the emergency room, we form intimate bonds with complete strangers in a split second mm-hmm. over serious life and death issues. And, and the way that happens is based upon very tiny little acts of human decency and kindness. It goes beyond body language. It's about little things that we do to make people safe by listening, by noticing, you know, someone's pain, if they're cold, if they're thirsty, by, by taking seriously what they're telling us, you know, by making them feel that they matter as a human being, by acknowledging their humanness, their 
their being. And it's those little tiny things multiplied times millions and millions in a society that get us through these times. So political correctness in the ER is out the door because it's synthetic humanness. It's about symbols. It's symbolic morality. What gets us through crisis is that we're on a frontier together where everything gets real in a heartbeat, where decisions have immediate consequences and, and courage and human decency and acts, little acts of kindness, things that no one will ever thank you for, make the difference between people feeling human, feeling able to, to confront difficulty and darkness and hard times and not. One of the things that we, we also recognize in the ER, and I know that lawyers have their own version of this. My dad was a lawyer. My uh, best friends are lawyers. My significant other until recently was a lawyer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I still have a lot of warm feelings for her. But anyway, yeah. we learn to confront the dark side of human nature. And this would mean that there are human predators in the world. There are the Bernie Madoffs, the Jeffrey Epstein's, people who have an, a pathologic absence of conscience yeah. and who don't hurt when they hurt other people. And then there are people who are addicted. And we have many, many people who are addicted who have impaired conscience. They, they lose healthy self-protective instincts. In the ER, we're trained to deal with those types of people respectfully, but with healthy boundaries. In crisis, it's very important that we see human nature for what it is, because if we're around toxic people who are not truthful to us and we're vulnerable, mm. we, we, in crisis, it can be deadly. And so we, this is why trust and little acts of decency and integrity are so critically important in, uh, during covid I hope that helps. It does help. I mean, there's a few things it makes me think of that might be specific examples, if I understood you correctly, you know, is that in a time like this, where our, our baseline level of stress is just higher and more constant, and that that can make it more difficult if we are not conscious about it to to connect with each other in empathic ways. I don't know if that's an example of what you were saying. I think it's the opposite. Yeah. Actually, it can make us more apt to connect with each other because crisis levels the playing field. In a split second, complete strangers on 9-11 ran into sure. the flames to save complete strangers. And it's never about black or white, gay or straight, rich or yeah. poor, you know, educated or uneducated, religious or non-religious. It's just human. And we allow ourselves to recognize other people's humanness. As a Nat Geo photographer, in fact, the show that just came down at the Smithsonian African American Museum had uh, two different discoveries that I made. One of them was a, a discovery of two African American heroes, both of whom were nominated for the Congressional Medal of Honor and denied due to racism. Mm -hmm. It was the only example in American history where two black heroes both died in the same battle, both nominated for the Medal of Honor. In that unit, they were South Carolina cotton pickers led by all white officers. You would think it would be the most racist unit. It wasn't. They recognized each other. You see each yes. other's humanness. You don't see race. You see human. And, and these heroes show us all what it means to be an American during crisis. There's a selflessness. There's an altruism. There's a belief in things outside of yourself. 
it's not about narcissism. It's, it, you, it's about letting people in. And, and if someone has just saved their, your life and they're of a different race, what do you feel? You're grateful. You don't yeah. see race. You just yeah. feel like your heart is filled with, with joy and, and appreciation. I absolutely see that. And, you know, one of the challenges, though, of the specific situation we're in now is that people are not physically together as much. They're tending to, understandably, stay with their own family or group for safety reasons and perhaps not having as many of the opportunities to just be with other people around them who, in another crisis, they might turn towards and then form these crisis-based connections. So this is why getting the truth about outdoor spread is so important, Mm. because if we can congregate outdoors safely, I would ask everyone in your audience to do an online search and convince yourself, look for the data. You can also look at data on these protests after George Floyd. There were no upticks. Right. None. And, and so we, it involves pushing back. Mm-hmm. It involves checks and balances. It involves not accepting carte blanche, the information that you're receiving, questioning everything. And, and I don't say that in a right or left sense. I say yes. it because that's what America is about. It's not about trust me. It's about show me. It's about checks and balances. It's about transparency And if we don't have that, bad things happen, and they are happening right now. Well, this is very, very eye-opening. And when you mentioned the outdoor, I mean, what I've generally been hearing is outdoor better, indoor worse, you know, but, but not in the more categorical way that you've been putting it based on the distinction between the micro droplet spread model and aerosol. What I've been hearing is it seems like, well, they're similar. It's just one is, is worse than the other. Here's the bottom line. And, and it's, it's talked about in this amazing Yale paper. Only submicron particles can get down deep into the lungs where the COVID infections occur. Uh, where the, you know, it's in type 2 alveoli, deep in the lungs. The micro droplets are stopped much higher. I would not be surprised. If, it, you know, when we look back on this and the more data is in that we discover that flu is more of a micro droplet I see. spread and that COVID is, is aerosol. I, I don't know that I haven't seen good data that shows that it's aerosol, that it's micro droplet with COVID. I see. There's a lot of speculation, but there also is a lot of pushback, especially coming from Europe. We're not hearing about it here. And, and the, the proof is in the pudding. The, these nations are blowing up and it's going to be happening here very soon. So if you make your indoor air safe, you can, you, you can just relax, <laughs> feel human again, be around loved ones and not worry. Excellent. Very, very important message. Thanks so much. We'll, we will spread this, uh, no pun intended, spread yeah. this to our audience. Can, can I just offer um, yeah. to send you a link? Actually, I did send you a link, I think. Sure, of the sure. viral safety index, you can publish that. It's yep. free. People can look. And if it's, you know, Wuhan was seven, six to seven. High risk is seven and below. Mm-hmm. And so you can look online and see what your, your viral safety index is for your area because there's so many purple air sensors. And if it's low outside, that means that's a red flag to 
watch the humidity indoors like a hawk. I see. And, I see. Uh, I see. And, and I'm also happy to send you links of what I'm doing in my home indoors uh, with humidifiers. Yeah. You know, you can buy them on Amazon or Home Depot or, you know, for next to nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Share those with us and then we will post them uh, on the website and uh, in the show notes for this episode. And I'll ask you, is there any other place, your own website, any other place online uh, you suggest people go to to find out more or to get in touch with you? They can go on LinkedIn and I'm posting a lot on there. And there's a lot of background information and resource information and scientific papers. And, you know, I don't believe a word I'm saying. Question everything. Go to the original science. Yeah. You know, don't, I mean, I, I encourage you to do that. It's not because I'm, I, I, I'm being truthful, you know, but I'm human like everyone else. Maybe there's things that I don't understand or, but, but I'm posting everything fully in a fully transparent way. So you can learn about this. If I can figure this stuff out as a frontline clinician, the virologists have known about it for years. We are not being told the whole, all the facts. And so it's really important that people pay attention, ask questions, look, you know, look at what's happening and, and try to learn as much as possible. And so LinkedIn, Jeff Gusky, G-U-S-K-Y. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, yep. Robert. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for okay, being on the Okay, be tech- safe. Thank yeah, you. you too. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Dr. Jeff Gusky, emergency physician and renowned National Geographic photographer and explorer, who strives to help the world rediscover human connection and goodness in a disconnected world. You can find out more about Dr. Jeff Gusky at www.jeffgusky.com. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the episode and share it with your friends. And don't forget to also check out our blog at www.technologyformindfulness.com for more information and tips about how to be more productive, creative, and happy using technology. And sign up for our mailing list to receive a free guide on how to find balance and manage your technology use with mindfulness. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast.